Friday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you, and we're fresh off a victory last night for the Toronto Raptors as the Raps bounce back following their loss on Wednesday night to the Boston Celtics. They head to Philly on the second night of the back-to-back. Tobias Harris is back in the lineup. Seth Curry is playing. Yes, I know Ben Simmons isn't there, but he hasn't been there all season. And I know that Joel Embiid is still sidelined, but the Raptors still without Pascal Siakam. Kim Birch not in the lineup. And Toronto with a nice statement game on the road to keep that head above 500, 7-6 now. After the five-game winning streak, it was a three-game losing streak, and now back on track and hopefully a little momentum heading into tomorrow night's tilt, the only home game in basically three weeks for the Raptors uh, as the Raps will play the Pistons tomorrow night and then get set for a six-game road trip. But Jonesy, an impressive showing last night, especially in the second half, especially late third and into the fourth quarter, and it was all kind of in the face of, I don't know if it was, shoddy officiating, but it was certainly questionable officiating or confusing calls and confusing officiating that we didn't really understand during the body of the broadcast last night, uh, and that wasn't necessarily always pertaining to just Toronto. So this isn't like some anti-Raptor, anti-Toronto, anti-Canada rant or something. It's just the confusion that sets in for two guys that have been doing this a long time, one of us, you, being doing it even longer than me, let alone the fan base that I'm sure is scratching their heads anytime there's a, a whistle, a review, a replay. I don't seem to know what the holy hell's going on half the time anymore. Well, uh, and I know we've got some time. We're going to talk about the officiating after, but um, it's the hard. I keep going back to this. It's the hardest job in the world, and uh, th- they do a great job in real time. I think they need to maybe lean on technology and, and find a way to speed it up a little bit to help them get it right. Um, but, you know, I, I, and, and I'd like the coaches when they challenge to be rewarded if they challenge. If they say, hey, wait a minute, no, you got that wrong. The, the referees should be able to say, yeah, you're right. We're going to overturn it and we're not going to penalize you by killing your timeout. Like Doc Rivers' timeout to challenge the dunk attempt that was overturned a successful challenge they never got the ball i mean because and and people say well philly had the ball no because once the whistle goes everybody stops so the guy who happens to pick up the ball after that to me that again that's that's not indicative of what would have happened but he lost his timeout they lost the jump ball toronto scores a huge hoop and he has that's his last timeout so when the challenge is successful, and we've seen this with Nick Nurse, he's been he's on the refs. They're not giving him calls. He he picks his time to challenge a great challenge, wins the challenge. Kind of says, you know, you guys have been giving me the business all night. And I finally got one right. I finally caught you. And yeah, by the way, it cost me my timeout in a close game, right? Like, why can't you use a challenge in the middle of the second quarter when your team's the other team's on a 9-0 run and you make a play and they get the benefit and you say, no, hold on a second. That should be ours and we got a chance to stop this run. But coaches are afraid because they know it's a one and done. You Like the NFL, you should be able to use that challenge if it's successful. You keep the timeout, you keep the challenge. As soon as you're wrong, it's gone. And coaches need to be mindful too of the personalities. There are some times when a referee... You could you could walk across the the Atlantic Ocean, and the ref will say, "Nope, I'm not changing my mind." So you got to be mindful of that too, because they're human beings. And as Doc Rivers said last year, 
which referee in front of 20,000 people is going to say, yeah, I got it wrong when a coach has been coming at him all night. That's tough to do, and it takes a, a lot from the refs. And again, I'll go back to it. Toughest job of any of the major sports to officiate basketball. Okay, listen, you've said that to me a million times over the years, and I don't disagree, but for those that might be hearing it for the first time and, and driving off the road saying, no, hockey is, no, football is, no, baseball is, why do you say that basketball is the hardest sport to officiate? Well, uh, there are so many judgments, and that's why I'm in favor of trying to make things black and white, clear cut, so the referees don't have that many judgments. I mean, a guy can be standing with the ball with nobody around him, and that's not the focus. Is there banging in the post? Is there holding coming off a screen? Is a guy moving on a screen? Oh, by the way, that guy's standing with the ball. Is he moving his feet? Is he kind of shuffling them a little? You know, in the college game, how long is he allowed to hold the ball? Now the guy starts dribbling. Is his hand under the ball? Is he palming it? There's nobody around. Uh, there's so many things, and they happen so quickly in such a confined space. I, I, I just think it's not the fastest game in the world. Things happen a lot quicker in hockey, but yeah, you don't have to worry about what side of the, the, the stick the guy has his puck on. The puck on is it like... You know, you can only have it on the backhand side for so many seconds or, you know, you can't put you, like the palming rule, which I think is pervasive in the NBA now. It's become a move. Guys put their hand under the ball and carry it and, and beat mm-hmm. the defender. Mm-hmm. You know, look at the trickeration that was going on for years with the, you know, DeMar DeRose and James Harden, people leading with the arms. And the referees are like, I don't know if that's a basketball play, but there's contact, so I got to call it a foul. So they've taken some of that out. I, I just think it's harder. People are like, oh, baseball, what about the strike zone? Man, you can use robot umpires. And and when an umpire's ticked off at you and you throw throw it 98 right in the middle of the kitchen, right down the, down the middle of the plate, if he's ticked at you, it's like, no, ball, high, low, whatever. And, and everybody knows it, but he has that power. It's not hard to see. There are so many judgments in basketball. To me, it makes it the most difficult of, of any of them to officiate. I mean, the only and, other and one, the- E... The only yep. other one is football, where they could call holding on every play on yeah, the offensive right. lineman or the defense for illegal contact. Well, and, and here's, here's a by the way, just quickly, I want to note, I, I liked how you slid in trickeration in there. I actually know that word, Jonesy. I've got that one. Nice. Okay, that's, that's, that's your word that's, of the day, yeah. E. Yeah, I, I, I heard you slide that one in, but, you know, it, it made me perk up, but I at least knew it, so I don't need to go Google that one. Um, it, the interesting thing I find, too, with the officiating in general, and, and, and we can look at this in broad terms for all sports, but when we deal with basketball specifically, and I think we touched on this a couple of days ago when we were talking about whether it's flagrant, whether it's excessive contact, et cetera, and the same thing in the National Football League, and it, it kept, it, you know, kind of crept into last night's game as well, and what a dog that game was between the Dolphins and, and Ravens as a side. We'll get to that later in the show. Um, but it's player safety. And I appreciate the fact that in today's game, more so than ever before, the, 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 you know, all of the information that we have, the access to the information and to the science behind it and, and how important it is in terms of protecting the body and the head for quarterbacks and, and, and all athletes in general. But now it's like, man, you can't even breathe on a guy, it seems, in the NBA without somebody just getting up in arms and, oh, my, that's a flagrant, that's excessive. That, is, is that a flagrant one or a two? Or, you know, should that be a tech? And in football, man, a quarterback gets touched. There are times where clearly, clearly 
it's roughing the passer. Other times, a quarterback gets you know knocked or, or hit to the ground or or embellishes, which I know you love in, in, in the NBA, especially a guy gets hit and throws the arms and the neck and the head and shoulders back and pretty much whiplashes himself to try and bait the officials into a call. And I think that's where this, this crazy blurred line now is where any contact at all now is deemed excessive or over the top. And I think it's it's blurring the lines or confusing the lines of for even the athletes, for the players themselves, let alone for the fans, for the broadcasters, for whomever that are watching saying, I don't even know what a foul is anymore. I don't even know what a penalty is anymore because it seems like what it used to be is not the case. And I think that's got to be difficult then in the moment for the players themselves to really know what's right or wrong and what they can and can't do half the time. I agree, Eric. It's... And and I think we're seeing some of that now. We're going to save some of this for later, but heck, we're we're into it. Why not? Um, I, I I just think that th- there are times when the game's getting basketball, in particular, the pendulum's swinging back a little bit. There, it's it's getting a little bit more physical. They're allowing a little more physicality, and you know some of the guys aren't used to that, and they want fouls on everything that used to be well back quite frankly back in the 80s 90s and early 2000s used to be let go as part of the game and then they they said no 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 we're not going to allow the clutching and grabbing and it got to the extreme where i mean how do you guard steph curry like mm-hmm. if you can't touch him how how do you guard trey young like like how how do you guard those guys look at james harden and you know he's getting 13 14 free throws a game like like so they've the pendulum's kind of swinging back players are adjusting some having a little bit of difficulty but you're at least allowed a little more physicality so they're going to have to get used to it and it's just been they've been socialized within the game to expect certain things to be fouls and you know what that's not a foul anymore i'm sorry that's not a foul anymore we're not going to call that so get used to it and you know, play the game and don't play to get fouls. So, I, I mean, I personally, I kind of like it. I, I, I and, and then again, we're going to get into the judgments, like how much is too much contact? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when is that impeding, uh, you know, dislodging those 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 words that they use, uh, you know, those those, you know, those terms that they use, the nomenclature, Eric that they use in the game. <laughs> so come on, man. Uh, one a day, Jonesy, one a day for me. That was yesterday's. You should have that ingrained already. I do. I do. Yeah, okay. I do. Okay. You bet you're educating all of us though. Cause I'm, I'm, I'll sell out Boffo and Lance. Cause they, they had to go run and look that one up too. They even, I think what I, I think it was Boffo that put it in the group chat to make sure that, you know, we had it in, in black and white so that we've got, you know, we can always access it quickly in the group chat if need be, in case you pull it out again, like you just did. Um, it's a fri- let, let Friday add- spelling test, right? Like, didn't you have <laughs> yeah. that in school? Friday, Friday morning, always a spelling test. Uh, probably. I'm trying to block a lot of that stuff out. Don't you remember my math last night as well, Jones? <laughs> I was trying to figure out what the Raptors' run was, and I had to—I literally had to pull out my fingers and toes to try and count it all up. Um, let me ask you this: So you just touched on it a little bit, and and I think I've worked with you and known known you long enough that I I kind of know the or knew the answer, anyways. But. The one thing I would say as a fan, I'm taking off broadcaster hat, media hat, whatever. I'm just looking at this purely as a fan. As much as I loved, you know, the 80s and 90s, and I loved my man Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan and growing up on basketball and fell in love with the game and everything else, I just pray that the way that the whistle's kind of being swallowed a little bit more thus far this season, 
that we don't eventually creep back into no. the grinding 90s of like 82, 78, or 94, 89, and these grinded out half-court hacking and pushing and slapping and tickling and fouling and knocking all over and just no scoring, little offense, all defense and fouls and, and toughness not being called. I don't want that. I don't. And maybe you don't want to see what we saw the last couple of years, like 135 to 129 with not a lick of defense and the whistle blowing every five seconds and teams getting 40, 50 free throw attempts. I, I maybe don't want that. But I feel like we're closer to the grinding out right now than we are to the well, all the, the, the reins are loosened. I, I, I think there's got to be a better middle ground, and I'm not sure that it's this right now quite yet. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and and uh, although this is pretty good, we still have, you know, some, some high-scoring games. I mean, even last night it was 115-109 with the Raptors and, and the Sixers. That, that, that's good. It's not the, as you said, you know, 135-129, and it's not the – you know the the ninety four eighty nine where like a basket in the last five minutes is like a goal in hockey. <laughs> I mean, it could it could decide the game for crying out loud? I don't think we're ever going to go back to that, but I think there's going to be a little bit more leeway with with the physicality. Now, again, just like the players of this era who grew up with every time you you blow on a guy or you look at him sideways, it's a foul. I grew up in that era playing physical and, and you played physical and you know, when it was, when it was six all at the park and the game was up to seven, no win by two, you better make a shot from like half court. Cause if you go inside, you're going to get fouled. There's going to be contact. You're going to be arguing about, you know, that's a foul. No, it's not. I got ball. No, you got my arm. There was lots of body. I mean, that's, I don't think we're going to go back to that, but that being said, I was okay with that. Like those, Knicks Bulls games that were grinding and a basket meant something. I I'm again because I was brought up with it. I'm okay with it. I I, I really was. I mean, people need to go and look. Uh, you youngins need to go and look at the clothesline that Larry Bird gave Kurt Rambis, and Rambis got up and ran at him. <laughs> and you know that was a two shot foul, no flagrant. Yeah, that'd be like no a twenty ejection. game suspension today. Yeah, no no nothing. So it's two shots and. um after the two shots, if they go in Boston, you got the ball like like nothing, you know. And the game was so physical back then; it was almost too much. And that's where I, I'm sure David, the late David Stern, said uh, it's a little bit too much right now. And 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 they got away from it. And then it started to hurt them in the FIBA game because they were fouling too much. And now it kind of hurts them in the FIBA game because. The FIBA game is a little more physical, and all these guys want calls, and they're not getting them because they're not. It's not the NBA. So you're right. You're looking for a middle ground. Yeah, I just don't think we found it yet. That's that's where maybe maybe I'm showing my age. I'm old enough to still respect the old school, but I'm 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 still a, kind of sort of young enough to want to appreciate the offense a little bit. So I, I I want that happy medium a little bit more than what we're seeing right now. You know what? We'll bring into the conversation. Yes, Smith from the Toronto Star, national NBA writer, covering the Raptors for a long time, author. Uh, 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 I don't even I don't even know what else we can throw behind his name. He's just all round good guy, and he's been covering the game a long time. and And I say it respectfully, he's probably closer to the old school with you, Jonesy, in terms of remembering a lot of these grinded out games. And Smitty, where do you land on this in terms of where the game is literally today, in terms of the way 
the league, the officials have been calling it this year compared to the last couple of years, and it's starting to kind of feel like we're getting back to the old school, hey, we're putting the whistle away and letting guys play. I don't have a problem with it, frankly. It's a little bit – it's rough. It's harder. It's more physical. But I, the, the, the scores are still like 115-109, 110-104, 120-111. Like, there's still a lot of scoring. And I think the defense got screwed for about a decade. They were taken out of the game. And I think putting a little bit back in is fine with me. Uh, Smitty, I agree with you. And and I, I pointed to the same thing. You're, you're We're of the same vintage that – I mean, I don't think we want to go back to – Eighty four seventy nine, but no, no, you know, but but one 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 thirty two one twenty eight with like every every time a guy gets touched and like you know we talk about playing in different eras. Some of these guys are getting a taste of an era gone by, and and as we said, if you would have put Michael Jordan or a Reggie Miller or a Patrick Ewing in this era playing that the style they played, the, the, you how how do you stop those guys if you're if you're blowing the whistle on every play? Ewing would have shot 25 free throws a game. And and and, and I, that would have been ruinous. I, I hate – I think free throws are down seven or nine a game this year on an average, and that's that's fine with me. There's still too many, I think. And, you know, we're not to the point where guys are hand-checking guys and steering them into the seats. There's still, there's still some whistles being blown, but there's a lot of contact being allowed that I don't have – I really don't have a problem with it. Mm. All right, Smitty, let me, let me stay kind of on this topic. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll steal Jonesy's uh, you know, line or thought process on this one where he often talks about, and, and Jonesy, tell me if I'm, I'm misrepresenting, uh, legislating emotion out of the game. And this spills over into all sports. In fact, we were talking about it the other day in the National Football League where you know, dude celebrates after a big sack and ends up getting called for, for, a, for a penalty. Uh, meanwhile, you got the Pittsburgh Steelers running down the field, the entire team literally running down the field after an interception, sliding into the end zone, mugging for the cameras, and nothing's called. When do we look for our inbox today for the fine for Fred Van Vliet for the, uh, <laughs> let's call it the Big Onion celebration, the Sam Cassell tribute at the end of the ball game last night? I think it'll probably, I'm not sure if they'll announce it, but I think he's going to get a $15,000 fine because that's kind of kind of the standard bear, the standard issue since Cassell. And yeah, I, I don't, you can't legislate emotion out, and you shouldn't, but yeah, there's got to be, there is a line, and the, the line is obviously drawn with Cassell, and maybe Fred went over it. Maybe, maybe they'll let it go these days because, man, the thing that I, and I, this is, this is like a get off my lawn. I'm shaking my fist at the cloud <laughs> moment. I'm going, I'm going to right here. But I watch guys, I watch guys dunk at a basketball game and guys come off the bench. Like they've never seen anything like it before. Guys are dancing along the baseline and high-fiving and jumping and cheering and hugging each other. You go back and look at the days of the great players, the Jordans, the birds, the, the Millers, the magics, they would do something extraordinary and 10 guys would be on a bench stone face. Now they're up and dancing and tugging and crazy, jumping up and then running to the baseline, running into the seats, running to the score table. That's that's old. I get that it's fun and I get that they're having fun, but man, I, I don't know what football player said it. Celebrate like you've done it before. I, this is not. There's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. And, and hey, that's Jonesy, the kind of stuff that gets me. Jonesy, let me jump in for a second. I, and, and Smitty, I don't. I don't mean to. I, I don't think this. I don't think this is selling you out at all. I, when I'm not working a broadcast, I often sit up in the stands near the the uh, media section, and and uh, I, I sit off to the to the side of Smitty, off to the left, and I'm and I'm actually sitting in one of the seats. And I've never told you this, Smitty, but I'll often look over after 
a play that you're just talking about, a dunk <laughs> with the bench reaction or a big play or something stupid happens or whatever, and I just kind of look over and – it, like I need ISO cam on Doug because it's it's just the it's just the slightest smirk or the slightest sneer or the slightest raise of the eyes or a little shake of the head sometimes the hand to the forehead and it's just the the Doug Smith ISO cam for the reactions that's what I want is the reaction hey, you know shots. what he he I've seen it and and I saw it when I, I, does it, that's grammatically incorrect right I saw it anyway I've witnessed Doug doing that. And you know that eye roll emoji that I use in many of our group chats? <laughs> that should be that should be patented by Doug Smith. That should be like, oh, oh. come on. Like that's a, <laughs> that is a Doug I, I get, Smith classic right there. I, I appreciate the greatness you see every game. I covered a couple of basketball games in my life, but every game something happens to make you go, holy crap. But you go holy crap to yourself. You know, like, oh my lord, oh, I never gonna see this like this before. And play like the dancing along the baseline and hugging and jumping up and down with some routine, relatively routine run of the mill play. It gets old. You got to save it for special occasions, like a game winner or a playoff winner or a dunk in a 33, 34, 34, 33 second quarter. Come on. <laughs> Doug, let's, let's, let's talk about uh, the resiliency of the team last night. I, you know, they, there were times they could have folded the tent last night. I, I thought Eric and I identified the end of the first half. They were down 10, and they were on the ropes. They just needed to get to their stool and, and get the smelling salts for the next round, and they cut it to five. Nick came out pressing at the start of the second half just to say, okay, listen, we're getting the energy up right away. Like, here's, here's a shot of Red Bull. Like, like we're not going to let the classic back-to-back where your legs get you at the start of the second half uh, happen to us. And then I thought he stole some minutes in the zone in the middle, late middle to late third quarter too, and I, that, that was a big win for Toronto last night. I know it's only seven and six, or they're you know they're only a game above five hundred. That was a big win for them last night. Uh, no question, Josie. And the way they managed—I wrote about this this morning. The way they managed the minutes is really interesting to me because Fred played forty, but he was as fresh in the last three as he was in the first four because they got him out quick, <clears throat> they, got, they got him back in quick. They bought time, and you can take, not, not possessions off, but a zone saves your legs. You're not chasing guys around screens and baseline, a lot on the baseline, that kind of thing. That saves legs. The, the time he stole with uh, Boucher and then went back with Mikhailuk in the fourth quarter was big. The start of the fourth quarter with Trenton Boucher running a lot of two-man action was really, really big. And I think the man- managing of the minutes in the game allowed them to be fresh because, frankly, they finished the game on an 8-0 run, but I think they give up like an 11-2 run just before that. And we're down, and and a tired team would cave. They had played a lot of minutes, but they weren't tired because they finished it strongly. And I think that that was a very underestimated part, underappreciated part of the way they played last night, is that at the end of the game, their three best guys had played heavy minutes two nights in a row, but were ready to go when it really counted. Speaking with Doug Smith of the Toronto Star, Smitty, you know, we're only 13 games in here. But do you think the minutes are ultimately going to start adding up to the point where we need to be concerned about it as far as it goes with uh, Fred Van Vliet? Or is that something that Nick Nurse will kind of curtail, scale back as we move forward a little bit? I think it probably scale a little bit back. It'll be nights where games are blowouts. He plays 35 or 36 instead of 41 or 40. And it'll, it'll, it'll sort of accumulate that way. The rest, like, we know. You, you guys are around these guys all the time. The recovery process is so intricate and so involved 
that it, it's it's almost to the point of scientific perfection. They know exactly what to ask and what they can ask on off days and the treatment they get. These guys take care of their bodies. They eat right. They sleep right. They get their rest. They don't work overly hard when they're not in games, but they stay fresh and sort of tight. And as the season goes on, they'll practice less. And they certainly won't practice nearly as hard. And, uh, you know, these guys are as good athletes as exist on earth. And they know they have the best doctors and medical people around them to keep them fresh. So I don't see that as an issue today like it was 15 years ago when guys were playing 42 a night, 82 games a year. And But the, the game was different, and the recovery was different, and the process of keeping them healthy was different. Everything is such fine, finely tuned scientifically that as the season goes on, they keep playing these minutes, and I, think, I don't think there'll be an issue. I really don't. Uh, Doug, to that end, uh, Pascal Siakam sat out last night. Uh, you know, and, and I, when he originally had the surgery uh, back in the summer, we'd heard he'd, he'd be ready in December. Here we are, you know, obviously, as you talked about, the, the intricacies in recovery and, and rehab. I mean, we're, we're not even the middle of November yeah. yet, and, and he's back, and he's already played a game, and he sits out last night. And, and uh, talk to me about what you see for him going forward. Like, when do you think, I mean, you can never put a timetable on it, but, I mean, he was really rusty in the first couple. Uh, you know, he even said at, at one point, I, I felt like I needed some gas out there. Um, how, how does Nick continue to manipulate that? you got to work him back in. It's going to be slow. There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be a dip when he goes back in. But you can't play without your one of your best players. No, they, they got to ramp him up. He was, what, 25 the first game, 30 in Boston minutes? Yeah. And I think he'll bring you up the set of sort of, 30, 32, 34 on the trip. There's only one back-to-back on the six-game trip that's coming. That's uh, Utah-Sacramento. I don't presume he'll play both of those. But other than that, there's two days off between Portland and and, and Salt Lake City. There's a couple days off between Sac- – or there's one day off between Sacramento and, and Golden State. I think they'll start easing him up, but I, I would think it's going to be the 1st of December. He's probably ready to play 35, 37 a night. I, I don't think he's there yet. And the first few games are going to be like the first two. They're going to be ups and downs. He looked really, really good in the game of here against Brooklyn and looked really, really bad in parts of the game in Boston. You're going to have to live with that because, Jones, you're right. This team, he's got to play. He's got to play good, and he's going to have to. And you've got to get it quicker rather than later. What kind of impact do you think it'll have long-term, Smitty? Listen, I, I, I'm not from the school that says, oh, the, you know, panic because, you know, Pascal had one rough game out of two, re, re, you know, since his return. But what kind of process do you think it will be trying to get everybody on the same page and sharing the ball and playing the same style? Because, you know, they, they've looked pretty good. And, again, I'm not saying that he's the problem by any means. Be clear about that. But they've looked pretty good without him. But now they're going to have to find a way to look good with him and he's going to have to find a way to fit in and realize this is what's working and I've got to find a way to fit in with that. I, I think he will because I think he's best suited for that. I think we saw last year he is probably best suited as a guy on the team rather than the guy on the team. And I think that's what fits right into his playing style and mentality. Um, I, Fred said it after the, I guess after the Brooklyn game or the Boston game. It's going to be a process and they got to figure out where the shots are going to come. When the shots are going to come in the shot clock, who's going to take them? Who's going to be in what position on the floor? Because if you play Ananobi, Barnes, and Siakam, 
That's three guys who've never played together. They got to figure that out. And I think they're smart enough that they will. It's not, it's not going to happen like in a, in the Detroit game. And it's certainly probably not going to happen in the Portland game, but they're, they're smart enough and they watch enough film and they know where they operate well and they can see where their teammates operate well, that they'll get to it, but it's not going to come in a game or two. It's going to come in five or 10 games. Smitty, what surprised you about this team? Uh, so far at this point in the season? I mean, uh, I mean, there were givens. They've talked about how hard they wanted to play. Uh, I'll, I'll throw mine at you. I, to me, it's the rebounding, the fact that they don't really have a big, bulky, husky center. But, I mean, the way they're rebounding as a team, uh, and especially on the offensive glass yeah. now when nobody goes to the offensive glass. Everybody takes a shot, and before the ball hits the rim, they're all back at center for transition defense. The rebounding surprised me the most. What 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 What's kind of stood out with you? It's the offensive rebounding that, that they're willing to go because, like Jones, you're right, most coaches, like, they pull their hair out when guys hit the offensive glass because you're giving up <laughs> – you might be giving up stuff in transition. It's very impressive to me. And I, I, I hope it's sustainable over 82 games. I'm not entirely of this team. The thing I'm really impressed with and the, is the guy I'm impressed with is Banton. The guy has been, like, stuff just happens when he gets to the game. Good stuff, generally. Sometimes bad, but mostly good. Role needs to expand a little bit. I do think he has to shoot 500 three-pointers a day for the rest of his life to become a threat from out there. But he's given the team a, a, a juice of energy, a boost of energy in that second group that I didn't think they were going to get because I thought it would be Dragic, who's a slow side screen roll, pick you apart kind of guy instead of a hell bent for leather guy like Banton is. But he's really, really done a great job in the energy department and not not hurting them at, at any in any significant manner at any point in the game. Smitty, I was going to let you go here, but one quick question, seeing as the name just uh, uttered out of your mouth moments ago. Goran Dragic, it's clearly a million times different than the situation that's happening in Philadelphia with Ben Simmons. But you've got a guy that's not playing, a guy that let it be known that he might prefer to be elsewhere, even though he's trying to be a good soldier right now. But I don't think he anticipated not being a part of this rotation and, and being this veteran piece sitting at the end of the bench waving a towel. How does this end? When will this end? What do you think the end might look like? I think it's going to end like I thought it was going to end the day they got him. They're going to trade him or they're going to buy him out, and it's probably going to be February. And everybody I talked to around the team, nobody is concerned about it. The only people concerned about it are the fans out there. We're all, yeah. he must be a, he must be a such a disruption. He must be his morale kill, killing the team. Look at him. He's not upset. He understands the situation. He understands what he is compared to what the franchise is. And I guarantee he won't be here at the end of the year, but I could have guaranteed that the day they made the trade. And if, if they can get a second-round pick or something for him, great. If not, in February, you shake his hand and say, okay, here's the number, we're buying you out, go make yourself a deal, and everybody's happy. But I, 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 I cannot stress this enough to people out there. It's not an issue within the team. The players aren't bothered by it. Dragon isn't bothered by it. They're playing fine. He fully understands of where, where, what he is and where he is on where this roster is. And this roster is built for next year and the year after, and he wasn't going to be here anyway. Smitty, thanks for the time and insight. As always, always love chatting with you, and we'll see you down at the uh, gym tomorrow night. 
All right. I mean, they're rolling my eyes, shaking my fist at the clouds. <laughs> We're going to put a new emoji in, the Doug Smith emoji. <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. All right, there's Doug Smith of the Toronto Star. We'll have more Smith & Jones in a moment. Remember, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Like, rate, review, and uh, listen in anytime. Back in a moment. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. It was a bit of a light night in the NBA last night with only three games, including the Raptors' victory with the 76ers. Indiana beating Utah, and that's a huge win for the Pacers to knock off the Jazz, and Miami has now lost three straight as they drop one in L.A. to the Clippers. Kyle Lowry had a monster fourth quarter, but not enough to uh, overcome the Clippers, who again win by three. And, you know, I, I keep saying it. It's very early. We're not even a full month in yet. We're approaching the one-month mark. But uh, you look down, and it's kind of uh, jamming up, certainly in the Eastern Conference. The Golden State Warriors at 10-1, and one, the uh, clear lead dog. But in the Eastern Conference, 8-3 and three for the Wiz, 8-3 and three for the Chicago Bulls. And then after that, it's 8-5, and 7-5, 7-5, 7-5, 7-6. Seven seven it's all kind of rammed up right now. So nobody really running away with things uh, the way that the Warriors kind of seem to be or are trying to do uh, in the uh, the Western Conference. But, Jonesy, I want to jump back to that game uh, with Indiana and the Utah Jazz as, um, you know, if you if, if dust folks up. missed it. Yeah, a little dust-up. We were talking about the the, uh, the physicality a little bit earlier. Four players ejected in the ballgame last night after Rudy Gobert and Miles Turner kind of got into it a little bit and uh, looked like Gobert might have pulled down, Was sorry, was pulled down to the ground by Turner, and then, uh, you know, everybody kind of got uh, all freaked out after the fact, and Donovan Mitchell jumps in, and Joe Ingles gets in there, and it's Gobert, it's Turner, it's Mitchell, it's Ingles. They're all in there. That's that's like three-on-one. All four guys get tossed. It was um, drama, to say the least, in Salt Lake City. It was, and um, it's funny. I've been listening to some of our colleagues, um, and, and I, I agree, and, and our, our, our colleague Sherman Hamilton had a good take on this one. Is the game more physical right now, or is it just the players aren't used to it because 100%. they don't have they don't have a comparative, and that's you know basically what I'm saying, what we're saying, in that it's going back to the way it was, and they're like, oh, you're that, that's a foul. Well, no, it's not. It, it, we just kind of tightened it up, and those used to be play on and non fouls. So we're going back to that, and uh, you know, it, you and I talked about it last night, and we were very honest. Maybe you know some Raptor people don't want to hear it, but I thought Andre Drummond's block was clean and the contact occurred after and we have guys now on three point shots missing shots and then they get a little brushed long after the ball's gone and they to use your line e it's like somebody hit them with a sniper from the top row they're they're down and okay if you want to call that a foul that is an after the shot foul that has nothing to do with the ball it's gone already that bump when the ball's halfway to the hoop doesn't impact the shot so if you want to call it in the NBA, if they want to get a bailout, there's an it's an after the shot foul and, and it's contact after the shot. So it's side out or if they're in the penalty, it's the two shots there. It's not a three shot foul. 
So I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm seeing players like the Gobert Turner thing yesterday. Gobert thought he was fouled. I mean, every guy thinks he's fouled now when he misses a shot and there's a little bit of contact. And then they go to the ground and like, you know, two seven footers who who can't bounce up off the floor quickly. They get tangled up and then. Turner bumps Gobert, and then we got a sumo wrestling match. We got a Greco-Roman, you know, above-the-waist wrestling match. And I, I just think the players have to adjust to the new physicality and the way the whistle's going. I, I don't disagree with you, Jonesy. Um, let me, let me on that topic, um, read you a text that came in. This one from Stephen Halifax. And you can always text us, folks, 590-590. Glad you guys are back regarding NBA officiating. Lack of consistency embodies the NBA. Tic-tac fouls that have no impact on the play should never be called. Then we see a forearm smacked on a shot or attempt with no call. To make it worse, it varies from game to game and official to official. No need for it. Thanks, guys. Jonesy, what do you think? What, what, what? No, need for, no need for what is Steve saying? I was just trying to follow along with what you're reading. No need for the, for the, for the replay? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. That's, that's the way I read it, yes. I, I, I mean, on, on, on fouls, you know, again, I, I go back to what we said before. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're reviewing a foul, it, it's like Doc Rivers said. How many times will the ref actually say, no, I got it wrong? And I, I'm, I credit them when they do, when they overturn it. But there are times when it looks like it clearly should be overturned and they stand by their decision. Uh, to, to, you know, the, our, our texter's point about you don't need it, I think you have to get it right. I, I, I really do. I, I, I'd like to see a way of it being sped up, like, okay, there's a review, and then we go right to the guys at the replay center. It's it's like sending a kid. It's like sending a kid to the office. Once the kid goes to the office, the teacher sends a kid to the office. Now the principal deals with it. The teacher doesn't have a say anymore. So if you go to the replay, let the replay center decide what it is, and and you know they can consult with the guys at the arena, but you know they make the decision, and maybe that speeds it up. I don't know because now you've got otherwise you've got five six people talking about a play. So. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with the replay and I'm okay with getting it right. And unlike many people, I'm not bothered as much by the time. What I am bothered about is more than anything is, uh, the things that they go and review that I think sometimes are unnecessary. Yeah. I, listen, I don't disagree with you, Jonesy. Um, yeah. we, you know, I know we've, I know we've touched on this a little bit in the past as well. The replay system I mean, hold on. Replay systems in general, in all sports, I think need to be looked at outside of tennis. And, the, of course, the difference being in tennis, uh, you're pretty much mostly dealing with line calls and line judges. You're not talking about uh, infractions, fouls, penalties, etc., cetera, uh, involving other athletes, other competitors, etc. cetera. So um, I, I, I think that that is... It's a good example to use how well tennis is done, but I just don't know if it, it can be applied to uh, at least the four majors. Um, but when I think about the, the officiating the, and, and the replay system and everything else, and, and at the risk of being repetitive, the one thing that stands out all the time for me with the NBA, and it's still fairly new, so they've got time to address it and fix it and everything else, let's hope, it's the fact that you're losing timeouts just for asking if you got that right. If it ultimately is proven that, yes, I got it right, and 
you slowed the game down by asking, or you 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 dare question my 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 decision, my sight, my 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 version of things, and now I'm proven right by video. Well, then okay, fine. Maybe you deserve to to lose your timeout. But if you question something and you ask for that, and it turns out you're right, you should not be losing it. And and honestly, I don't buy the theory from people They're like, oh well, then we could be having you know ten twenty replays a game. I mean, listen. There are going to be some blips on the radar where that happens, where it might turn out that a coach or a team ends up getting five reviews in a game because the coach, by fluke or by, 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 you know, by circumstance, ends up being right every damn time. But you know what? I'm willing to deal with the odd game that ends up being 10 minutes longer because there's five reviews. I don't think that's going to happen on the norm, on the regular. I, I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah, e, we've opened up a can of worms here talking about officiating. <laughs> Got another text coming in. Uh, it says, Jonesy, can you tell me why they don't um, go through such lengths in the NBA to protect? They go through such lengths in the NBA to protect three-point shooters when they are landing, but they do absolutely nothing for guys flying down the floor to make a layup and then have contact after the shot. Why is a three-point shooter protected after a shot is released, but a guy making a layup at full speed is not protected after his shot is released? I Look, I, I think the guy that uh, gets hit after the layup, I mean, that's where I think the after-the-shot foul can come in. It's it's Sometimes it's incidental because a guy's trying to make a basketball play and he's flying down the floor at the same rate as the guy who the defensive guy at the same rate as the offensive guy. I mean, I think with the three point shooter, what they're worried about is a guy landing and coming down, uh, you know, a foot and ankle. I mean, you can, you can break an ankle. You can, you know, that's how I had mine broken. You can, you can do serious damage to your ankle, your knee, your lower body. If a guy's under your space and you land on them, I've seen it. My kids play volleyball. I've seen it at the net. Guy goes up, you know, tries to put a ball away. A girl goes up, tries to put a ball away, comes down, lands on somebody's ankles who's on the other side of the net, even though the twain shall never meet, and you've got a serious ankle injury. So I think that's a little bit more in their face uh, when it when it comes to uh, you know protecting a three point shooter, and you know it's it's one of the things. It's always been a thing in basketball when a guy is airborne. He, he's he's got to be protected. When a guy's going for a layup, there's two guys airborne, and sometimes neither of them have control when they come down. So the collision is there, and it it just kind of just kind of happens. So um, I, I don't think they favor one over the other. I just I just kind of think that's you know one guy's airborne, and and the defender is is usually on the ground when that happens. And again, folks, a reminder: you can always text us five ninety five ninety, and we'll try to answer your text throughout the well, throughout the show, or certainly throughout the week. So, if you're listening live, or if you're tuning in on the podcast, uh, make sure you uh, you know keep your ear out uh, as your text might make it onto the show. And listen, uh, like our first guy that that we went to, and and I'm I'm trying to remember that was what Steve, I believe, in Halifax. Halifax, um, yeah, yeah, Steve in Halifax. Second dude didn't put a name on it, so he put your name on it, man, so you can get the shout out. And uh, and so we can give you proper respect for uh, for sending the question into the show. Five ninety five ninety is the text line. All right, I mentioned it was a light night last night in the NBA. Well, it's certainly a lot busier tonight uh, with eleven games in the association. The Pistons will be playing in Cleveland. So when Detroit comes to town tomorrow night, 
They will be playing on the back-to-back. And Jonesy, it's been a rough start to the season for Detroit. Uh, he's sitting at the bottom of the conference at 2-8. and eight. And for the next four to six weeks, maybe longer, they're going to be playing without Canadian uh, Kelly Olenek, as we heard about his uh, uh, meniscus injury yesterday. So that's a, a, a certainly a blow for Dwayne Casey and the Pistons. And it looks like it could be another rough year in the Motor City. Well, it's it's tough because Kelly's a vet. You know, he, he's been with good teams in good, good organizations when you think about, you know, uh, the time in, in Boston and, and uh, you know, Miami in particular. And I'm sure Dwayne Casey was counting on him to, uh, you know, help out with the teaching, uh, with the, with the uh, learning curve of some of the youngsters. And, and that's how it's done. It can't always be the coach. I mean, the best the best teams are the ones that, the players police themselves and, and hold each other accountable in the locker room. And, and, you know, Kelly's a vet and he's one of those vets that's still playing and guys listen to, it. it's not like a, an old guy that's at the end of the bench and, you know, he's played 25 years and, and, you know, people look at him and say, well, the game's passed you by. I mean, Kelly's a, he's still one of those, I would say, you know, young to experienced kind of veteran players in the league. So that that's going to hurt. I'm anxious to see, Cade Cunningham, though, Eric, I, I am. Uh, yeah, you know, he's yeah, yeah. Had a bit of a rough start, but I mean, the guy's not the number one pick for you know for nothing. So I'm I'm anxious to to get a look at him, and I know we'll have a couple looks at Detroit over the course of the year. Yeah, so it's the Pistons and Raptors tomorrow night, basketball night in Canada, Saturday night special down at Scotiabank Arena. But back to tonight's games for a second. One other, actually two other ones I wanted to mention. I'll be keeping my eye on Atlanta in Denver because it's always tough to go into Denver and win a game and and the altitude and everything else. But um, the Atlanta Hawks have dropped five straight, and they are uh, having a rough start to the season. We discussed them a couple of days ago. But the other one, the other one, uh, what, the second last game of the night, the last one will be Minnesota and the Lakers. But at 10 o'clock, the tip-off, 10 o'clock Eastern, that is, the Chicago Bulls in Golden State to face the Warriors, the 8-3 and three Bulls, the 10-1 and one Warriors. Chicago's been, to me, one of the best stories of the season thus far, but how do you discount what Steph Curry and the Warriors are doing? And I was watching our man Tim McAuliffe yesterday on Tim and Friends. He had Cabby on, he had Kenny Smith on, and Kenny Smith declaring that Steph Curry's the MVP and he's going to win it. We're not even a month into the season, and, and already Kenny's saying, boom, it's done, that's the MVP, because he can get what he wants and do whatever he wants every single night well people were saying he could have been the mvp at the end of last year the way he was playing and rightfully so as well as he played his team was in the play-in so it it, 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 and he only made kind of a late run at it i'm really of the mind if you're that good you'll you'll drag your team to one of the top two three spots and steph made a late run uh but right now 10 and one I mean, I, I see the way they're playing right now. I'm not sure how Chicago is going to slow them down. They, they, I'm sure Billy Donovan will have a great game plan. Uh, but Golden State, without Clay Thompson, Eric, very much looks like that team that, you know, they're capable of those runs. You turn it over a few times, Steph's knocking down threes, and he's shimmying back on defense. And, you know, Jordan Poole is playing great. And this team looks... I'm having a flashback, man. They they have a a a scoring differential of of thirteen point six. I mean that's that's number one in in their conference, far and away by mm-hmm. by the margin that the Bulls have, who have the number one scoring differential in the East, 
have over everybody else. So it's a seven point difference. Golden State outscores team by about teams by about fourteen a game. Chicago by about seven. The Warriors are fun to watch again. E they really really are. Yeah, they've won six in a row heading into tonight's tilt. The Phoenix Suns have won six in a row as well. Hottest team in the East, the Washington Wizards. They've won three in a row uh, sitting atop the East with the Bulls with that 8-3 and three record. The Raptors now 7-6 and six following their win last night. Again, getting set for the Pistons in tomorrow night's tilt. And we'll see if maybe Pascal Siakam is back in the lineup for the Raptors. I assume he will be based on the fact that we were told it was just kind of uh, management uh, I, I don't think they used load management. I'm trying to remember what the uh, what the official terminology was. It wasn't load management, but either way, uh, you know, trying to come back after that shoulder surgery, played two games, had the rest last night. I anticipate he'll be back tomorrow, but again, uh, no certainty in that statement as the Raptors are not practicing today following the back-to-back. They'll be back on the floor tomorrow for the morning shooter and then getting set for the tip against the Pistons. Remember, folks, Subscribe to our podcast, Smith and Jones, wherever you get your podcast. Rate and review as well. It's been Smith and Jones right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.